0: My name is James, and this is the place where I teach verse-by-verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary, and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I have been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in the scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now, grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the hearing and reading of His Word. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Forge, where we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. We are in chapter four, and I trust that you have found this study to not only be interesting, but helpful in your walk with Christ. So let's begin in verse one of chapter four, Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse one. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up, against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your Hand, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, Whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methusael, and Methusael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, the name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also was a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. We now move to the second generation of humanity. And there are several things that we should notice about the account here. First, we need to understand, as I've stated before, that we are reading a summary. There are no doubt many details which are left out because they're not relevant. God chose to record only the necessary parts in his word. Secondly, we should notice that any children which came from Adam and Eve at this point would be born not into a world of perfection, but into a world of an awakened conscience. In other words, a world where there is knowledge of good and evil. And as we will soon see, man's tendency Now is and will be from this point onward that man will always choose evil. The age of innocence is truly gone forever at this point. Uh, The third thing we should notice is there is an apparent knowledge that God is to be worshipped through sacrifice. And keep in mind at this point in history, uh, we have no Ten Commandments. Um, Yet there is obviously an understanding of sacrifice and worship and sin. And I believe it's entirely possible and even probable that Adam was given guidance by God on the very first sacrificial system. And the last thing I'd like to suggest here is that Adam and Eve had more. And I would say many more than just three children that are mentioned in this chapter. There are traditions which state the exact number of children that our first parents had, and others have done all kinds of calculations. And the truth is, we do not know how many children Adam and Eve had, but it was no doubt a sufficient amount to begin populating the entire world. And I'm going to discuss this more later as we get into the chapter. It is silliness for the skeptic. For the evolutionist, the humanist, for the non-believer, for them to look at a passage of scripture like this and say, oh, well, there's only three kids. Adam and Eve only had three kids. (laughs) No, they didn't. Remember uh, that we are reading a summary, as I've said, and we do not have a listing of every single child. That Adam and Eve had God has chosen to keep and we're going to see this develop here beginning in this chapter. God has chosen to keep a genealogy of those who are in the direct line of the promised Messiah. And from time to time, as we're going to see here with Cain from time to time, God has recorded for us the line of the center of the rebel of the one who was against God or against God's people. But we'll notice as we get into that, that the line is only followed for a few generations and then it is, it is forgotten and it is not recorded in scripture because it's not the relevant line that the Messiah would come through. And we see that starting right here in the book of Genesis. So there's false teachings about Cain, and I'm not going to get into all of them here, uh, but I will simply state that one reason that you know they're false is because none of those false teachings about Cain are supported by what the Bible actually says. People have attempted to twist the scripture to come up with all sorts of nonsense about Cain, and what we're going to do in this episode is just look at what the Bible actually says about Cain, because that much we know. Is true. So we see that Eve saw Cain as a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, remember that uh, she had been promised. There was a prophecy back in Genesis chapter three that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. And what does she say at the birth of Cain? She says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Notice that her focus is upon what God has done. Uh, not there's not much of an emphasis placed on the physical act, which must have taken place between her and Adam. But no, she is focused upon God and his promise. Next, we read that another son is born and his name is Abel. And notice that in just three verses, we've gone from babies being born to grown men. Remember, it's a summary. So as verse three puts it, it says in the process of time, it came to pass. So in these first three verses, these young men or these babies grow up to be young men. And the truth is, we do not know how old these um, men were. And we also do not know how many brothers and sisters they had at this point. Uh, Keep in mind, as we will soon see in the book of Genesis, that humans, and I would just add that it's also reasonable. that The same was true for all of God's creatures at this point. They lived a massive amount of years compared to the way things are today. And again, I would submit for your consideration that the way we see things today does not necessarily indicate that that's the way it was always in the past. So we come to a place where Cain and Abel each make a sacrifice. And from a straightforward reading of the scripture, the reason is not clear as to why Abel's was respected by God, and Cain's was not. However, we do read something in Hebrews that gives us a clue. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says that by faith, Abel made the more excellent offering. By faith, Abel made the more excellent offering. Some say it's because Cain made a fruit offering. And I read a commentary at some point that made the claim that Cain started the first false religion because he did not offer a blood sacrifice from an animal. The idea by this particular commentator was that Cain started the first false religion because he didn't offer a blood sacrifice. But we see nothing of that in the text. In fact, the sacrificial system given later to Israel, there were Uh, drink offerings, as well as grain offerings. Everything was not a blood offering. And it's just not likely in light of the whole story and from other scriptures that Cain started a false religion. In fact, I don't think that was it at all. It seems that from a reading of the scriptures and reading this entire story and keeping everything in context, that the issue with Cain was the same issue that it is with men of today. Remember, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. And he even tells Cain in the beginning in verse six, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And notice the caution that's given by God in the same verse. He says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. And so here we see in this verse the bondage of Cain's will. (laughs) We want to talk about free will. Cain has a bondage here to his will because he was born in sin. Now, remember, he wasn't born in the perfect Garden of Eden, but he's born in a fallen world now. And the sin of Adam is now imputed on his children and we see God calling for repentance and we see the caution from God listen sin as lying at your door you should rule over it because its desire is for you it will kill you it will destroy you so the Bible doesn't give us details about how God spoke to Cain was it a voice from within Cain's own thoughts was it another theophany Uh, We do not know, but we know that God was not pleased with Cain's offering. And I would submit for your consideration that it was a heart issue. It was a heart issue. It had nothing to do with the substance of the offering. So if you will remember from our study in James, there's a certain pattern to sin. Do you remember the steps that were taken to sin? Do you remember what it was from our study in the book of James? Remember that the first one, he, uh, James says that we are first drawn away, drawn away by what? By my own desire or my own lust. And then he says he is then enticed. So we're drawn away by desire, by lust. Then we are enticed. And so here it is with Cain. The intention of his heart was not one of faith as it mentions in Hebrews that I just read. But in Abel, we see faith. So we see that uh, when Cain's offering is not accepted, and even when he gets a gentle admonishment by God, he's not broken and he's not humbled. But what does it say? It says he was angry and his countenance fell. And the implication here is that Cain, in a jealous rage, kills his brother Abel. And we have the first murder. And next we see the familiar pattern of God asking questions, just like he did earlier in the book of Genesis. But notice, Cain has a chance to admit wrongdoing here, but Cain does not confess. Cain does not confess. Why do we confess our sins to God? Because confession is the means by which God legally forgives us. Romans ten ten states, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But we never read of Cain confessing his sin. And once again, I would remind you, dear listener, that God had not given the Ten Commandments yet. That does not come for quite some time. Yet somehow men knew that killing another person was wrong. Why is it wrong? Because to commit murder is to strike at an image bearer. Of the one true and living God. And while it is true that Adam and Eve were apparently looking for an excuse when God confronted them with their sin in the garden, they did not directly lie in the manner in which we read of by Cain. When God asks Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? the answer is a very direct lie. Cain replies, I do not know. Oh, I'm sure he knew. He knew where he knew where Abel had been when he saw him last. And then it's almost like there's a smart remark coming from Cain and he follows it with, am I my brother's keeper? See, there's a defiance here in Cain. And the answer to that, by the way, dear friends, is yes, you are your brother's keeper. In case you were wondering, the answer to that is yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> and so there certainly appears to be a genuine lack of fear of God in Cain. Do you think you can lie and then sass off to the one who knows everything and has the power to kill you right where you stand? And God's punishment for Cain appears to directly affect his way of life. No longer will Cain receive fruit of his effort in the tilling of the ground. God makes Cain a fugitive and a vagabond. And this indicates that Cain will no longer have a home, but he will be a wanderer. And at this point, one might think of humbling themselves before God, perhaps even asking God for forgiveness. Uh, Maybe something like, um, God, you can do anything and I'm terribly sorry for what I've done. Would you take my life and bring Abel back, bring Abel back and take me? I was wrong. But that's not what we read here. No, it seems Cain is concerned only about one person himself, and he actually complains that God's punishment is too great for him to bear. And it's striking considering what Cain did in the first place. See, God was gracious to Cain, even in the punishment. And it doesn't seem to even be noticed by Cain. Now I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but I will mention here that whatever the mark was on Cain, it had nothing to do with a change in the color of his skin. And God did not create a new race of non-white people. At this point, the mark, whatever form it took indicated That no one was to harm Cain. And so Cain leaves the presence of the Lord and goes off to a city or at least an area, and it's called the land of Nod. But now, wait a minute, when and where and how did that happen? Well, first of all, the phrase land of Nod could also be interpreted as the land of wandering. And the way things are written here does not necessarily imply that there was a city already established. But while we are on the subject, let me bring some things up for you. Have you ever wondered? I know the evolutionist has because it's one of their favorite questions. Where did Cain get his wife? Atheists love that question, too. Non-believers of all kinds. Hey, where did Cain get his wife? Well, once again, remember, the Bible only shows us the line leading to Jesus Christ. All other genealogies are really and truly pointless, and that includes mine and yours. (laughs) So as I stated before, the Bible doesn't show every single thing that could have ever happened, nor does it record every single person born to Adam and Eve. It only shows the ones necessary that point to the Savior. So it is very possible Cain and Abel were... Um, maybe even over a hundred years old at the time of the murder, because they were living extraordinarily long lives back then. So even if Adam and Eve only had a child every two years, given the ages that we know Adam lived to be, there would be over 400 children. So back to the question, where did Cain get his wife? Well, the first ones had to marry their brother and sister And as sick as that may sound to us today, it was not so in the beginning. And God does not prescribe restrictions on marrying within the family until we get to the book of Leviticus. Even Abraham, who was the father of the nation of Israel, married his half sister. So Cain would have probably married a sister And given these circumstances, it's entirely possible that a small city or cities could have already been started and even thriving within the first few generations from Adam. Notice, too, that, as I mentioned before already, Cain's line is not followed for very long in Scripture. It does not lead to Jesus. His descendants were all destroyed in the flood, which we have not covered yet, but it's coming And at this point in human history, it appears that Cain's descendants began to increase fairly rapidly. And we see the beginnings of an agricultural uh, and cultural civilization. Uh, Cain names the city after his son Enoch. um, But do not confuse this Enoch with another Enoch who we're going to read about later. Uh, We can trace Cain's line down to the sixth generation where we have three sons, of a man named Lamech. And Lamech is an interesting character, but do not confuse this Lamech with another Lamech that is coming who is going to be Noah's father. Different Lamech, different people. So Jabal is mentioned, and it appears that he and his line began to develop agriculture and the raising of cattle. Jubal is the one in the line with whom music is associated. And so finally, we have Tubal Cain, and he's the father of metalworks. And this puts brass and ironworks at a time before the flood. And so, what are we seeing here? Why are these three sons mentioned? And what's the point? Well, what we are seeing here is that there were great strides being made as far as what we might consider urban life. And no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that they had other advancements. There is a clear absence of one thing, though, and that is a regard for God, a regard for God. And as we're going to see in the next two chapters, it just continues to go in a downward spiral. Now, it's a J.O. That early man was advanced and not primitive. They had knowledge, they had skills, technology, and other advancements, and these things were lost over time. And so what we think we have just discovered in the modern era, um, I do believe that in many cases, it is in fact a rediscovery of knowledge that mankind had before. For those who maybe you're tuning in and This is the first episode you've ever listened to and you don't know what a J-O is. J-O stands for James Opinion. James Opinion. When I was a youth pastor, I uh, had students who uh, would ask me, okay, is that what the Bible says? Or is this another J-O, James Opinion? And so that's where it came from. It kind of stuck, and I like it, so I've kept it. It's a J-O. I will always try to be very clear with you and tell you when you're hearing a J-O versus what the Bible actually says. So it's a J-O that um, knowledge and skills and technology and other advancements were uh, there in the beginning and lost over time as we move further and further away from Adam and Eve. So we now come to early poetry and a man named Lamech Lamech also kills, but here we see a different uh, situation. We have a claim of self-defense and this is the first time we hear of an event like this also. So notice that in Lamech's poem, there's no confession of sin, no confession of sin, but a boast. And he's not sorry for killing. He's basically saying he will do whatever he wants to do for vengeance. And here's how I arrive at that. The phrase in the poem that says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77 fold is really Lamech singing his own praise of what he did by his own power. And he either did it by sword or with his bare hands. And remember that God was to be Cain's avenger in the event that someone killed Cain. But Lamech is saying here that his vengeance is even better than divine aid. A note here about the poetry form here. uh, This is a form of what is called Oriental parallelism. It does not rhyme like poems in English rhyme, uh, but it carries the same idea in a pair of lines. Notice that in the first two lines, for example, you find Ada and Zillah, and they are the wives of Lamech. And you'll read that in the next line. And then we, they, he says, I want you to hear my voice. And then he says, listen to my speech. And so it goes through the rest of the poem. And there's one more thing about Lamech, and I don't know if you noticed it, but Lamech is the first polygamist. He has not one wife but two. And so here we see Cain's line moving further and further from God's ideal. God's example was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Eve 2.0. So we move to verse 25 through the end of the chapter. And it tells us here of another son born to Adam and Eve. His name is Seth. And it seems Eve believes that he is to take Abel's place. Notice what she says of Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth is in the direct line going to Jesus. We also find a closing phrase here, which is apparently associated with uh, the time frame of Enosh's birth. It says, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. What does this phrase mean? Were people not calling on the name of the Lord before Enosh's birth? Obviously, that's not true. I believe that Adam and other individuals were uh, calling on the name of the Lord. They were worshiping God. But what is in mind here is. A group of people notice men being plural and this phrase and there's others similar to it. They are found in other places in scripture and it always makes reference to public and corporate worship of God. So this is another first happening here up until now uh, in the history of man. It was we've seen God dealing with individuals. And now God is going to deal with men and groups are going to congregate together and begin to call on the name of the Lord, or as other translations have rendered it, that they call on God by name. And this word here, Lord, as it is in the New King James Version, which is what I'm using, L-O-R-D, those are all capital letters. And remember, we've talked about how that that is the English rendering of the name of God. When you see it in all caps like that, the written out letters uh, from where we arrive at Yahweh. So individuals, yes, God was dealing with individuals and he still continues to deal with individuals. But now we see Corporate worship, public worship, and uh, God dealing with groups of people. So this is a great place to end our discussion for this episode. We close with this phrase which refers to public worship of God. And I would just encourage you to get involved with a Bible-believing church if you are not already involved with one. And I would also add that it should be one of the Reformed tradition In the short time that I've been producing this podcast, I have gained an audience which currently is in 21 states. Uh, Not huge uh, by any means, but at least one individual from at uh, at least 21 states. There's somebody out there listening to me. And listen, that is fantastic. Uh, And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, Feel free to spread the news, spread it around. I mean, tell other people about this podcast. But listen, you still need to be in your local church. What's happening here on this podcast is not meant to ever replace your local Bible-believing church. I hope this study and this podcast on the whole is a help to you. And I hope to drop the next episode tomorrow and we'll pick it up uh, in Genesis chapter five. Thank you again for listening to the Forge podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ and the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds which were caused by sinful choices or actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.